product companies are increasingly becoming service companies. But what about service companies? Are they becoming more like product companies? I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association, and welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. In this episode, I will be joined by Edwina Fitzmaurice, the Chief Customer Success Officer at EY. So, Edwina, welcome to Tectonic, um, and let's start here. Can you just describe your responsibilities at EY as the Chief Customer Officer? Hi, Thomas. Great to be with you. I am, yeah, the Chief Customer Success Officer at EY, and what that means is I'm really here to ensure that we are getting the maximum use um, from our our products and platforms that we've been building over the past number of years. We've probably spent around $4 billion on technology to power our business globally. And that actually drives the business we have around the world. We're in 140 countries. We have 400,000 people. We have a large, very successful business. Um, and the whole point of all of that is to help our clients you know, solve their big business issues, to help them run their businesses. And that's a real privilege to, to be able to be part of that sort of huge global network. So my job is to activate and really power the technology that powers our business, that powers our clients' business. Now, one of the things I should also add is that unusually, um, I'm also the chief product officer effectively because all the products and platforms that we build also roll up to me. Okay. So I have the I have the opportunity to to build the products and also activate them in the market. And certainly I think that's a a very useful loop that you can create to have the connection between the customer success teams and the product teams directly to get that voice of the customer into the, the product lifecycle. So a chief product officer at a service company. So this is interesting. And, so, and how long has this role been in place at EY? Uh, it's been in place. I've been in this role just coming up to three years now. Okay. And, you know, the real reason for that was because we're, you know, so previously I was working in consulting and I was actually the head of our markets and business development account solutions. I was the, the head of, you know, effectively sales and the revenue side of the house for our consulting business globally. And, you know, we saw a real shift um, in the market from professional services really being delivered as a, you know, time and materials, people and hours to looking for, you know, technology solutions that really power a business and help, you know, deliver products and d deliver services faster, better, cheaper, mm -hmm. um, with greater insights. And really, you know, you can imagine how technology transforms businesses. Um, so that you can see that shift going on in the market. Um, so then my role then shifted to, well, you know, the technology is becoming so important here. We'd like you, I have a background in technology, to transition to our client technology team to really get hands-on on the build and activation of that in a new way, working with our service lines, which is, you know, our audit business, our tax business, our strategy business, and our consulting business. So working across the entire firm. Um, and it's really, you know, all businesses are becoming technology businesses. Yep. Um, and EY is the same. And it's interesting because, again, coming from that professional services background is a company. But then I, I look, and you, I think you guys have been around since 1989. Do I have that right? As EY, yeah. Obviously, you know, EY is a 
came together as a combination of organizations going back till actually, I think, 1849, you know, some of the original businesses. So it's been a series of mergers, yeah, over the years. Yeah, Got it. So, but it's interesting because if I go to your corporate website right now, there's a, there's a section there titled, you know, technology platforms and products. So, so again, you know, you, you, like you said, technology is eating through, through every industry. So, you know, what types of products are we talking? SaaS products, on-prem software, what types of technologies are, are part of your solutions? So all of our technology, all of it is cloud-based. So yes, you could say it's SaaS-based. Um, but SaaS is not only the technology, but it's also a business model and a commercial model around how you deliver those those products. So we have everything that is, as I said, it's fully enabled in the cloud. It's on demand. It's as a service. However, we typically don't sell them direct to clients as a product. Okay. We're using our products and platforms to power our services, our solutions. So we're really, we are a services business at heart. So we bundle the technology inside of a services wrapper. Got it. Right. Either delivering product, you know, consulting projects or managed services um, or, you know, renewable services for our clients. For example, we do a lot of tax services, as you can imagine, you know, producing tax returns for, for organizations. That's a big managed service powered by a big technology platform that we built. So most of our business looks like that. Um, but, you know, we do also do some uh, direct to direct to client product sales. And in fact, clients would like us to do more of that. And they certainly, you know, there's a demand for that. They say, we really like your technology. Can we have it? So so we're increasingly moving towards that. But at our core, we are a professional services firm. And, you know, I think it's interesting for me to watch a lot of product companies move towards services mm-hmm. we are a services company moving towards product but at the core i think the the values or the culture or how you go about that getting to the middle is different depending on how you start where your starting point is so our starting point is always delivering services solving solutions making an impact on business rather than selling product you know, it's interesting you're describing that. It, I had this flashback to the first book I ever wrote. It was called Building Professional Services, but it was targeted toward doing that within a product company because that's where I came from. And I had this framework in there called the Product Services Wheel, and it made the argument that, you know, product companies end up having more and more services over time to support, you know, the products, help their customers be successful. Service companies, you know, over time, like to productize what they're doing, and they and product revenues are attractive in, in the fact that they're they're you know more scalable, all that kind of fun stuff, right? So what you're what you're describing, but one of the interesting things here, this dynamic, so product companies, you know, they lead with that product, and and, and most of the time, ideally, they say the you know the the smallest service footprint I can put around that, right, the better, <laughs> or let my partners do that because my my value proposition is a product. And what you just said is, hey, our, you know, our value proposition is a service experience and the technology is an enabler to that, right? I'm not worried about as much about monetizing that individually, et cetera. So you're right. I mean, you pick up the stick on the other, you know, other side of it. But I have to ask this question here. Culturally, you think about service organizations and I'll call it, you know, bluntly sort of the brain on the stick model, right? You have really smart consultants and, and, and people that are working with your clients, right? You know, they, they've got that big brain, they're helping solve problems. Like you said, it's, it's, it's often an effort-based model by our, how are your employees, your, you know, as they engage with customers, sort of adjusting to the reality that, hey, some of the stuff that I do is now going to be codified in a product and I have to add value differently to just talk a little bit about how, you know, how, how you help 
culturally, you know, your frontline employees through that? Yeah. So I think that's a great question because if you're in the services business and in a services mindset, it is about problem solving. It's about value creation. And you're always asking questions about where's the value add. So our frontline ask that question, where's the value add? If I could do it myself or I can do it through a service or I can do it through people, you know, is that better than using the technology? So we're always under pressure to prove the value of the technology. Now, these days, you know, you think about what's going on with AI and everything yep. these days. I was going to go there next. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so that, that argument, it really, honestly, it's going away. I mean, because people see the power of the technology like our frontline demand more technology. They're very busy anyway. And so what, what the technology does is, first of all, it t- obviously it automates. It takes away the kind of work that human beings don't want to do in the first place, right? The repetitive work. So that's your kind of base level. But then you get into the whole idea of, you know, new ways of collaborating, new ways of sharing data, new ways of scanning, like vast amounts of data in a new way to provide insights that you really cannot do as a human, okay? And and people obviously want that, um, both on the front line because they want to deliver that value. And and we always talk about sort of, it's an and, not an or. We don't think technology and human humanity is in competition, not at all. They are complementary. And so when the technology is working and it's making all the workflows go better, all the insights come out faster. Really, everybody's winning and clients see that. So it's essential to how we work. Um, And there's there's just huge demand for it. So there isn't really a problem. What's more of an issue or more of a challenge is more around things like, so how do we we price this into the the service solution? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because not only have we got sort of standard products which have their own, you know, pricing, but we're often customizing. So we've got something and there's something else required. How do we do that? So, so one of the things that we've been building is not just products, but we're building a platform. And that platform is called the Fabric. We call it the EY Fabric. And what that is, is a, it's like an app store of reusable componentry. And it's also a developer platform. Um, and so a lot of our, you know, I, I run the, the kind of big product development teams with the, you know, big focused engineering teams, head down, product, 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 right? That mindset. But a solutions mindset is more, it's more agile. So, and a lot of our service line teams, you know, are very technology capable. Obviously, we have a whole tech consulting group, but you know, everybody coming in from college can code these days, right? We hire, you know, a hundred thousand people a year here at EY, right? So, we've very tech-enabled people in our audit practice, in our tax practice, in our accounting practice, like places where you think, oh, these folks, you know, are not technologists. Everybody knows stuff. So, we give them the tools to to also using the fabric to generate solutions locally as well. Um, and so there's a big demand for that, right? And and so then they say, so how do we price for this? How do we think about this? How do we create the packages? So we, you know, I also have commercial teams where we're we're working with them to to structure, to structure the engagements, to structure how you put the pricing together, very transparent on our costs so they can think about how to how to put that together, how to build the the operations in and the support side of all of that. So that we have these sometimes these custom services um, that are being built on the fly using technology and people. And that's a lot of the power. That's what clients actually want and value. Um, you know, a lot of our stuff is quite complex. It's not, you know, something that you would download on a phone. A lot of it, you know, it's it's 
you know, if you think about, say, what we're doing for tax, it's like an ERP for tax. It's full suite of applications for tax or an ERP for, for audit, for these massive processes in industry. Um, and so there's always customization and, if, you know, additional things that have to go on locally to make all of that happen. Um, so we're working with our solution teams and our customer success teams are really working very hands-on to help people kind of think that through end-to-end. So as I listen to you, so let me test this. So is, what I heard there is when you think about, you know, your fo- let's take the tax example. You, you have teams that are working with a company, and you have, you know, smart employees, and they're very comfortable leveraging technology and the tools that you're creating, you know, to deliver more value, to accelerate, you know, what they're doing. And so there's a, there's a level of, of technology adoption there that you know, I was just questioning the old brain on a stick model being threatened, right? But the, the, this next generation of employees, they're super comfortable there. There's one click above that. I, I'll just test this with you, where I see the current disruption <clears throat> is occurring from the AI perspective is now we have, so let's say you have a, a strategy team, Right, you know, that would go in and, and help a company with, you know, a, a transformation strategy, and and typically, I mean, that is again a very much a brain on a stick model. You know, you're talking to the the company, you're interviewing them, you're coming up with ways to frame in their transformation. Starting that with software, right, with an AI tool that's going to basically maybe do the 1.0 version of the strategy. What, what what are you? What's your perspective on that? Because that's unfolding like right now in front of our eyes. I mean, that's the huge disruption. So how 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 are people onboarding that reality? Yeah, I mean, again, we're just embracing it. I mean, it's it's phenomenal to have these capabilities. Um, again, so I use these technologies every day. They can give you amazing data, but there's a couple of problems with it. One is the data trusted. Is it from reliable sources? There's you know garbage in, garbage out. You have to be very careful about the sources of the data and whether you can rely on it or not. But it's a really good provocation, right? So that's the first thing. I think the second thing is, and I've done a lot of strategy work and consulting work over the years because I I came from that world. The challenge is not getting answers. The the, the challenge is having the right question. Mm -hmm. When you're doing strategy work, it's about asking the right questions, asking challenging questions, asking questions from a completely different and unusual angle. And that's what you need good, you know, strategy consultants for is actually not to ask the obvious question that you can get an obvious answer from a search or a, an AI bot. It's to think laterally, upside down, backwards, forwards, and to really to bring that to it. So, so that's where the the power comes from. But getting getting to quicker standard answers is really helpful. Yeah. But that that's normally not gonna you're not gonna bet your your business on what came out of a GPT engine, certainly not right now. So there's, there's still a lot of headroom there, right? For our really smart people out there in terms of how they add value. And I, and I agree with that. And, and, and again, I think there's no doubt, you know, some of the answers that come back, you know, are they, are they the right answers that, but that is going to get better and better and better, right. In terms of those insights. And so I think, you know, the challenge for, for all of us in, you know, in this knowledge, you know, based industry, of providing advice, providing insights, I think you were spot on, is the real value becomes on how you can really look at things differently from all angles, upside down, be innovative in your approach. There's going to be a premium on that, 
that that's what's the, that I think the premium is going to, and that, and again, that bar is going to get higher for sure. So anyway, that we went, we went down that rabbit trail, but it was, it was a good one. I, I want to shift gears a little bit. I'd, I'd like to yeah. add something to that. If yeah. might. I mean, there's a sort of a general sense out there. The machines are getting better and getting smarter. So are we humans are incredibly robust. We are learning so fast. Look at the creativity and innovation and change. If I'm sure the conversation, like I think of my own, my own, my parents, my mother and father and what they did and the kind of work that we do now and the kind of way we engage, it's very different. And our children will be so much smarter than we are because that human beings are the most incredible learning machines on the planet, including AI, right? So I, I feel very confident about humanity, the way we, we progress. I, I, don't, I don't think these machines are the only ones who can get smarter. I think we're very good at that and very creative in a very different way. So I'm not, I'm not worried about humanity, actually. Well, that's good, but uh, you, you, you are, it sounds like a huge optimist, which is awesome. <laughs> that it was, and I, you know, I, I'll just, you know, put my perspective on it in terms of, cause I think about like you do, what did, what did my grandparents do? My parents, what do I do? What are my children doing? And I do think that the, the most incredible thing about the, you know, the age that we live in is just the access we have to information and insights and quite frankly, experts. I mean, even something like this, I mean, you and I can have this conversation, people could dial into it from all over the world you know, when our parents were growing up, like who would they have access to, right? To hear, you know, other people and other voices, you know, and, and experts in all different kinds of industries. So, you know, it is, a, it continues to be the golden age of being able to access, um, you know, insights in a way that, you know, is unprecedented. So I think I'm with you. I mean, I'm incredibly optimistic. And I think as human beings, we just get better and better because, you know, of those un- unbelievable tools that we continue to, you know, create. So, but I, I do, I want to, sh- I want to shift gears on you here. And this is, so the first time I met you, uh, you attended a conference that we did, and we had a, this executive breakout. And I'll never forget this. And I got to share this story. So we had mostly product companies in there, and and we, they were talking. We were talking. One of the conversations was monetizing customer success, and that is a big topic in this industry. And I just completed a survey two months ago, um, and I, I can tell you right now that about. 51% of the companies in that survey said they are monetizing CS at some level, you know, 49% said they're not monetizing at all. It continues to be, you know, a huge debate. I talk to, you know, SaaS companies all the time on this and, and it's, it's, it's almost like a religion, right? Oh, you know, we don't monetize. It creates too much friction and customers don't want to pay for that. And, and I'll never forget this because you, you know, we were talking after and, and you kind of pulled me to the side and you said, I, I'm just, I'm actually a little confused here <laughs> because you, you know, you said there's, you know, there's value in this service and, and almost you know, like, well, why wouldn't you, you know, you, you monetize that, right? I mean, and, and, and again, as a service firm, you know, that's what you do. So how do you, uh, you know, talk a little bit for our audience that maybe struggles with you know monetizing customer success and the value of that, how do you position that value with your clients? Because you are, if you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you are 100% successful there. Whenever you deploy CS, maybe not initially, but ultimately, that's something you're monetizing with a client because you're demonstrating the business value they're getting. Yeah, and I think you know that goes back to what we said earlier. It depends on your starting point. Mm-hmm. It hadn't occurred to me not to monetize them. We are professional services. We we sell people's time by the hour. Like it's, it's part of our heritage. So it actually, it was a shock to me at that conference. I'm like, what? And I think that's why I was like, what? 
really? Um, and I just, it literally hadn't occurred to me. I'm like, oh, right. Okay. This, and this is normal. I'm like, okay. So that was a shock to me. Um, so, so, so what is, what is that about? So how I set the organization up, cause it was new was we're going to, it's a bit like building any business or a practice, uh, we're going to kind of create a, a seed fund and have a certain number of people that we start providing a service. But we made it very clear the service was going to be chargeable. And so you kind of see the service, you let people try it out like a, like a freemium model. They try it out, they see what it's like. And then it's a, a use it or lose it type of thing. You either use it, I'm, I'm offering this to you, you lose it or I will take away that seed funding and you don't get to use it anymore. So there's a thing called the scarcity mindset or a scarcity economy. If something is free, people don't value it. Okay. If something is scarce, there's value in it. So I made it scarce. I made it scarce and precious and told the story of this group is going to help, you know, take the friction out of um, technology, educate you in what we can do, uh, you know, answer the questions that you have, make life easier, help you grow your business. And this is to our internal teams before they got out to clients. But clients were also asking to meet our customer success teams. Customer success is is understood in industry to be there. So there was that kind of sort of push and pull going on at the same time. Um, but we definitely positioned it as a premium product um, that was scarce. And so people were like, all I want, I, we're kind of almost queuing up for it, right? So we said, here you go. Now you have to pay. And they started. And and they, the other thing I would always do is when you're telling your story, if you're bringing, you know, new people into the work is I don't do the presentations. We get our customers to present on the value that they're getting. So they talk about it. This made our lives so much easier. This, we, we were able to achieve this that we couldn't do before. Without this technology, we would not have been able to. And these, this group and these people really helped us with that. And a lot of it is around being very intentional about what does good look like? What is the service? What is the promise we're making? Are we all very clear on that? Can we just talk about it? Like, and re- let's write that down and be very clear on the promise we're making. How are we going to make sure we keep an eye on that? Let's let's change it if it's not working, and let's let's constantly check in on that. So you're the sense of of care and attention that the promise is being delivered upon is very important. And so you're in a relationship, which in a services business, you're in a relationship. Um, and so we did that and we sort of started with a very kind of high touch model. And then we kind of went into a more portfolio, sort of medium touch model. And we have a digital channel now as well. Um, but you can bounce around. If you need more, you can kind of move, you know, the digital channel will move you to, do you want to talk to a person? Let's get get them on board. But we have a lot of demand, honestly, um, because I keep it as a scarce model, people still have to ask for it. And we keep just that balance right that they f- there's a real sense of I'm, 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 I need this in-demand service and I have to w- wait a little bit to get it um, so that by the time they get it, they're, they're absolutely ready and are excited to have customer success show up, right? Uh, now maybe that's counterintuitive. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's not that it's counterintuitive, but I think I mean this is such an important conversation for this audience, uh, you know, this community of of this podcast here. Because again, the numbers I just gave you about half the people are not monetizing at all. They're not really trying to do that. And I'm in this conversation again all the time with people saying, you know, look, it's it's in our best interest to just provide this service. Customers, you know, are are not going to view, you know, they should be paying for that. 
but it goes back to you know what we were talking about earlier about what's end of the stick you you pick up right the product side or the service side you know and if i'm working with ey and i know i'm paying for you know consultants or you know people working on different projects i understand that if you're applying resource to me i'm I'm paying for that, right? And so if you're applying additional resource to me, which is, you know, some type of dedicated CS person or one the many, doesn't matter, but I'm getting cycles from a customer success person that's helping me be more successful. Yeah, my expectation is I would be paying for that, right? And and so I mean with that mentality, yeah, of course you you know ultimately monetize that, right? And and so product companies I think just have to get over the hump and the confidence that there is real value there. And, and like you were saying earlier, I mean, you know, have other customers tell the story for you, right? But, but if your CS people are offering or delivering absolutely zero value to your customers, then you have a different problem. <laughs> you have a different problem. But, I, you know, it's just a cultural, it's a cultural perspective. And um, But I, I'll put one thing on the table here. I do believe we are going to see a significant shift on this because of the current economic environment. You know, a lot of these SaaS companies that are un- unprofitable, that are working the gears, you know, to get more profitable, one of their, you know, biggest challenges is is non-monetized value, whether it's, you know, premium support, whether it's um, professional service. You know, by the way, a lot of these SaaS companies do professional services unprofitably. <laughs> Again, makes makes no sense, right? Free CS. I mean, they're going to have to tighten those bolts down, <laughs> right? If they're going to get those businesses, you know, profitable. But I, I guess again, I think everyone should hear this can be done. Um, there's no doubt about it. it. It has a lot to do with your, you know, your culture and your mentality as you're, you're approaching it. So, um, so, so, but let's talk about you. We're talking about scaling this, and 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 it's a scarcity thing, and. and it, you know, in terms of a resource. So in terms of the talent that you apply to customer success, what do you look for when you're recruiting people into that organization? Uh, so we're looking for it's kind of typically two types of people we're looking for. So people with a customer success background, so professional customer success people who understand, you know, the, the, the methods, the approaches and what's required. But we combine them with People typically from a consulting or professional services background, um, very often by industry. So people who have been former consultants in banking or former consultants in healthcare. And we combine the kind of, so I, I love the idea of, prof, of professions. You know, I think customer success is a profession. It, it is a career. It is it needs to be understood. It has methods, it has tools, it has approaches, it's, you know, and you combine that with that kind of subject matter expertise and, and consultative skills. So I think a lot of customer success people are coming from a product background and so are coming from a very, it can be, it can feel very transactional rather than relationship based. They're trying to, you know, trying to transact all the time. And Transacting is good, but we do it through the mindset of long-term value and relationship building. Mm-hmm. And so we measure, we, we count more uh, experience than transactions, right? We're very interested in the customer experience. We're very interested in that journey. We're very interested in satisfaction scores because we know that that drives revenue and loyalty and profitability and everything that drives in a professional services environment. That's everything. Um, so we have to kind of coach our customer success teams, people with that background into looking at the other metrics in a much more meaningful way. And we have to coach our consulting people who come from that mindset to really make sure they keep an eye on the 
the numbers and the fact that we we do want to transact. And actually, I think that's a very healthy mix, right? Um, so that's a lot of what we're doing. But, you know, we additionally, because we're operating globally, I have teams all around the world. You know, we're in, I don't know, 40 countries now. Um, and, you know, we've got people in China, in Japan, in, you know, all across Europe, across Latin America, everywhere, India, everywhere, Africa, actually. So, so a lot of what we're looking for as well is diversity. And, you know, when you're serving customers, they are similar in many ways and different in many ways. So we, we love the differences with our customers and we lean into that. And we want to reflect our customers, look like our customers, look like the world. So we like, we like to have very diverse teams as well. And we really lean into that. And that goes like actually across the board. I've, you know, all the usual things that you would expect about race and gender and sexual orientation. But we've also been leaning in quite heavily to bringing in, and this is connected to the product teams and the innovation teams that I run, but we have people who are also neurodiverse. I've about 40 people on my team who are coming from a neurodiverse background. We've got artists, we've got musicians working with us because we we actually believe in the power of humanity and technology working together in a really powerfully creative way. So our teams are mixed up with with sort of real cognitive diversity as well um, across the product and customer success team so that we bring that sort of language of humans at the center driving value in society to create a better world um, and success. I mean, success, there's plenty of success to go around. While I might say customer success is scarce, I think success is in abundance you just have to want to to go after it and share it together and everybody should be winning. So we're always looking for that, that magic that creates a win for everybody. Um, and happiness is part of that and wellness. And, you know, as we're executing on our technology, we'll be talking to our clients, not just about it will save you money. It will reduce your risk. It will improve, you know, your turnaround. But we also say it will help your people have a better day. Like we talk about what it's like to use the technology, what their people's experience will be. You know, we talk about health and wellness. We talk about experiences. So I think that's important too, because our clients and our customers are human beings and they quite like being spoken to as human beings, right? That's actually interesting, right? So, so we're leaning into that as well. So that we're talking about long-term, long-term value metrics, which would include, you know, sustainability and wellness and health as well as kind of hard business metrics about revenue or profitability. So let me click into two things that you you put on the table there. And, and I want to go back to the neurodiversity. So um, we need to recruit, you know, someone from your team to talk about that topic at one of our conferences, because we have a, a track at the TSI conferences um, on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's so interesting. I was just doing a planning meeting on that um, about two weeks ago, and this topic of neurodiversity came up. In terms of how do you recruit, you know, pe- people there and 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 support that, et cetera. So, so I think that's a fascinating topic. And if you guys, it sounds like you guys are really leaning into that. So we got we got to we got to have you present on that. The, the second thing though, you you said there about working with customers and and sort of crafting that experience because you know they're people, they have you know aspirations, they want to you know you know it's it's that whole mentality of how you want to interact with your customers. And I'm going to go back to this product versus, you know, service, you know, wheel here and, and where you pick it up. And I'll say for all the product companies out there, 
you know, and, I, and there's great product companies out there, but we do typically come to the table with this, you know, mentality of look at my great product, right? Look at what my product can do, right? And yes, my product, you know, can make your life better. But to what you said is such an important thing is ultimately they're, they're, they're looking for a service experience. <laughs> they're looking for, okay, that's cool. You have a great product, but you know, again, what, you know, you know, understand my world, understand, you know, what my people, why they might want to use it or not use it, you know, speak my language. I mean, you, you put on the table, you know, recruiting people that come from these vertical industries. A lot of product companies are very horizontal in the way they go to market. It's the same blunt instrument for every vertical industry, right? I mean, what you're saying is, hey, you have to understand, you know, manufacturing versus financial services versus, you know, healthcare or whatever. So I think, again, I think product companies can learn a lot from a service mentality in terms of, you know, what you're trying to, to solve for there in terms of the customer experience. So it's super interesting. Yeah. And I, you know, I think again, it's the type of products we do, you know, we're typically B2B, we're B2B organization, we're not B2C. So if you're in the B2C business and you're, you know, somebody's downloading your app from the app, from an app store onto their phone, and that's your business. I think that's a different business model. It's a different thing. So I'm talking about more of, you know, enterprise products for enterprise customers. Now they can be small customers. We have, you know, we have a very big SME business as well. You know, we, we work a lot with startups as well, right? So it's, I'm not just talking about, we only work with the big, the biggest companies in the world, although we do, um, it, you know, it kind of goes across the board, but it's that idea of we're delivering a, a B2B product and service. Um, so what is that overall experience um, going to be like? We, we value experience a lot. Yeah. And, and I think that, again, in the vast majority of TSI members are, are, are B2B, as you, as you say, right? And, and that's the, they're dealing with that same world. In our argument in the last book, we said, look, you know, complexity kills. More and more of these, you know, enterprise customers they don't want a, a complex solution, a complex experience. They don't want to have to solve for, for, for that complexity. They want you as a solution provider, right? As a, as a technology provider to, to take care of that complexity for them. And so, I, you know, I think that the bar is uh, getting higher there as well in terms of what customer expectations are. And it is, you know, much more about that overall experience. And, and you know, I think that you know, the question, I think in the long run, is, you know, right now people can say, well, I have product A or product B and people can, and, you know, and people, companies can go to market sort of differentiating based on my product A can do, you know, all these different things. In the future, is it going to be much more about experience A or experience B, right? Regardless of the products underneath it, like, you know, do I want the EY experience versus some other experience, right? I think that that's going to be, you know, way more top of mind, for these, for these, you know, enterprise customers than, you know, it has been historically. Yeah. And so experience matters and they differentiate that, but I will tell you, I mean, what we, you talked earlier about the product teams and product teams, and I have all the product teams. So I have, I have these teams, you know, amazingly beautiful brochures and slides and every kind of thing with all the features and functions listed and like down to the like font eight, they're so yeah. packing in yeah. and like I can be really blunt when I'm talking with them I'm like that's amazing but you do know nobody cares I don't care that you have all those features that's like whatever mm-hmm. and then I'm like why do we make all these features nobody uses them anyway like this is like you know the <laughs> I haven't done what like the laundry you know 
there's a thousand buttons on a washing machine. I, I have no idea to press the one with a clue, you know, or your VCR, I have no idea. So, you know, you do the same thing over. So simple is hard. Um, it is. And people can get caught up on features, right? And I'm really like, does anybody show me how many people press that button? Because <laughs> I swear to God, I don't think I don't think I would with anybody else. So we do a lot of that. But getting into the mindset of, but what does it actually do, right? So the, the value creation, you have to write it from the lens of the customer. And customers, I used to be a customer, right? I spent 15 years as an executive in industry before I came to professional services. I bought professional services um, from and other services, all sorts of services from organizations for 15 years. So I sat on the other side of the table as a, as a customer. I'm like, do you have any idea how boring it is to hear about how the inside of your company works? I don't care. Yeah. I want to know what you can do for me. So getting into the lens of what you can do. And then the other big thing is all buying decisions are emotional and people pretend they're not, but they are. And what they're looking for, what customers are looking for is, is the why. Why would I work with you? And do you believe what I believe? They're looking for a meeting of, of mind and spirit and values. Can I trust you? Because every time you, you make a purchasing decision, you're giving a little bit of yourself away. You're, giving, you're taking your problem and, and trusting somebody else to help you with it. And when that trust breaks down, it's unforgivable, frankly. But um, So you're looking for that why. So people, people ultimately buy what you stand for rather than feature number 22 right because if you stand for the right things and you're on their agenda then the rest will follow if you're trying to sell them that feature that won't follow right so you have to be very careful about that and sometimes you walk away i mean sometimes you know if we don't have a meeting of minds we sometimes don't want to do that business because we don't think we can deliver what they want because that's not who we are and it's not a good match and so a lot of my time when I was in consulting was actually qualifying out what we wouldn't work on. Yeah, I mean, again, I think what you're saying, I mean, it really resonates with me. And I do think that there is a sea change in general how um, enterprise companies specifically consume technology solutions. Because, you know, historically, again, it was driven a lot by the technical capabilities. And, and again, we've been through an age where, you know, these technical capabilities have been growing exponentially and companies want to take advantage of that. But but more and more, it's going to become about what you're talking about. What is the overall experience? What's the relationship? What do you stand for? And how does that align with what I stand for? And, you know, all that all that stuff. And, and um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what this landscape looks like, let's say, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now in terms of, you know, how how big and small companies are, are buying technology and what those relationships look like. Well, I, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the clock here. I, I one final question I want to ask you, and that is, so as, you know, a chief customer officer, how do you ultimately define success? Whether it's, you know, the key metrics that you focus on or, you know, how do you, how do you view that, you know, in terms of your role? So in terms of the business impact, um, the, the value we bring to the, the EY business and to our clients. We're looking very much at sort of obviously the experience scores. I, I've talked about that a lot. We, we really track that because we believe that is the, the leading indicator for everything else. Okay. How that's going sets the tone for everything else. And then we look at, 
you know, the revenues that we're creating, the profitability that we have on our own business and where clients will share that with us, we will help them track that for themselves. Okay. So in other words, we make a promise to help them save cost. If they will share their data with us, we'll help them track that, you know, now very often they're like, no, we got that ourselves. It's up to us. You know, they want to track their own benefits cases, um, but we're happy to work with them if that's the case. So we're always looking for that, that impact, um, in the market, we'd also, so that's the sort of hard metrics. We also ask questions. We do our obviously our quarterly business reviews, but we ask questions about those longer term things. If, if we made promises around, you know, we think this could help with your sustainability or your ESG scores, how's that going? Or we think this would help with, you know, your employee satisfaction and experience, how's that going? So we're quite happy to get into those softer, sort of less quantitative, more qualitative conversations. And we, we record them and track them in the same way. So that would be one thing. And then for me as a customer success leader running a function, what I'm looking for is demand. Is there demand? It's use it or lose it. If there's demand, we're doing something right. Our people are, you know, our people are there because somebody's willing to pay for them, not because I just had a team who happened to be available. Um, and so what really gratifies me is the demand that continues to come in. It's just really great honestly and um very happy about that we're we're opening up more and more regional hubs around the world we've demands coming in from each of the industry teams to have dedicated hubs so we have a dedicated hub now for our government business and we have a dedicated hub customer success hub for our uh, financial services business now as well and more of this the industry groups are looking for dedicated hubs we're looking for specific groups around some of the bigger products and so on so Demand grows. Um, our, our biggest accounts, so our top, top, top accounts, we have really very big demand. And our biggest account leaders are the ones who are are telling everybody else, you should have this. Um, so that really gives me a lot of satisfaction. And I could say I set targets every year for growth. I kind of do, but I also kind of don't because I want demand to be organic. I don't want it to be force that I'm forcing people to use something they don't want. And, but I love to see the growth coming in. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to make a, some framing here for, for our, our audience. Again, if you have, a, if you're running customer success organization, you think about, you, you know, how do I know if we're doing a good job? I'm going to, I'm going to give a spectrum of, of success metrics. So one, you might look at adoption rates, which a lot of CS organizations do. And they say, what's my customer health scores or adoption scores? Okay. That's one feedback loop. The next click over, you're going to maybe look at renewal rates and you're going to say, hey, our customer's renewing. That must mean I'm doing something right here, right? That's okay. That's great. You know, but the next click over, what, you know, you put on the table here is are people, is there demand for our services, <laughs> right? We must, so the market speaks there, right? So, so adoption is, is an interesting thing. It's, you know, but it's kind of, you know, fuzzy in a sense, right? Renewal is a little bit more clear, but then you get to, are people actually asking for our services? They, they're willing to pay for them. That's the ultimate market test of the fact that you're delivering value. So I think that that's a really interesting, you know, spectrum to put out there for folks. So I'm going to, I'm going to end it there. Edwina, thanks. Thanks so much for coming in today. It was a fantastic conversation. Again, you bring a, a different lens onto this customer success conversation because of the heritage of, you know, a pure service company. And I think it's wonderful for the audience to, to hear that, that, you know, get that different perspective. And I like to close every one of these episodes with our question of the day. And so if, if you are not, monetizing any customer success activities, you have to look in the mirror and ask yourself this question. 
Is it because our CS team doesn't deliver any business value to customers? Or is it because we don't know how to articulate the business value of our CS services? Cheers, everybody.